Hello and welcome to the Thriving Families podcast. I'm Anna and this is the podcast which aims to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for us to be able to talk about children and young people with additional support needs. Thriving Families and I are based in the Highlands of Scotland and we're hoping to connect people to support us in feeling less isolated and being able to recognise that you're not the only one. Today we're talking about parenting and caring for a child with additional support needs. Now, first off, um, I just want to say that parenting is hard full stop for anyone. Um, I personally think parenting is, um, and I'm talking from my personal experience, is pretty exhausting um, and it's challenging. Um, But I feel that I think it's because there's so many moments of joy with children that it's like we almost can block out and forget the tough stuff. I mean, I've never been through childbirth, biological childbirth, um, as my kids are adopted. But, you know, and anecdotally, people always describe that it's really super crazy, painful. Um, but the joy of the child makes you forget, you know. And there's always you know, certain TV programs that show you that, you know, people can't believe they do it again. Um, but the idea of bringing life into this world is seen as so worth it. Um, so I think parenting kind of continues the theme um, I just say that personally, the adoption process has maybe a similar effect, um, but maybe it was more mental than physical pain. But, you know, the outcome tends to justify going back again as well. So if parenting starts off like this, then maybe it's a big flag to expect that parenting journey is going to be tough. Um, I just don't necessarily think we can always consider that. Um, parenting journeys are all unique. And I think we can connect, though, with others and recognise similar experiences and similar effects of what it's had on our lives. Um, today, I want to introduce you to Karen, and she's a board member at Thriving Families, and she's kindly agreed to share some of her personal experiences of parenting. Now, I think the biggest difference when you parent and you care for a child with additional support needs, personally, is recognising that possibly the family you envisaged um, and how you envisaged that functioning as a family um, is different than how it is in reality. Um, and that idea of a vision or a dream um, had, isn't working the same way in life. Now, most families are caring and loving and they grow together to be determined and resilient and face any challenges that, you know, that you come across in your family life, you know, whether that be financial medical, bereavement, or indeed dealing with a diagnosis or um, a child living with some sort of additional support needs. Um, I think the biggest challenge is possibly sometimes that fear of living with uncertainties and the idea of not being able to know what the future is really going to hold and recognising how adaptable and how accepting you need to be in recognising that your lives are different now than what you foresaw and possibly the future is different than what you um, predicted. I mean, it's really evidenced in some readings that, you know, you can do that. Parenting a child as an additional support need is whether that is a health issue, a chronic issue, chronic illness, a learning disability, an impairment, a neurodiverse condition, um, mental health social and emotional well-being, whatever that condition is, it is recognised that there's a massive impact on overall family well-being. Um, 
families really do need to adapt and I think it can feel a little bit like a constant process of learning, surviving, functioning differently than, you know, what happened and there's evidence to to show that there's um you know mental health effects of this and increased episodes of depression and high levels of stress and anxiety relationship difficulties with family and friends as well as a high rate of marital conflict i think it's really clear that parenting is hard work and therefore parenting a child with or children with additional support needs brings heightened levels of those challenges um, and like I said, every family is unique and every story is different. But I think that if you can see that a family or a person that is experiencing something even slightly similar um, will just get it. OK, there's a look, there's a smile, there's a an acknowledgement that people just get it, that they know. And it may be a different reaction than you get then. um you know, with a professional or with a parent of a family who doesn't have any kind of level of need at the moment. And so, you know, the more you can connect with others that may have slightly similar experiences, the more hopefully um, you'll feel less isolated. You know, there is no judgment. People don't kind of look at you funnily. Um, they just connect and hopefully that reduces those feelings of isolation. And that's why I think it's really important to hear from other people and to talk to other people. You know, it's one of the reasons we're trying to push our online peer support groups at Thriving Families. Um, and I hope that by listening to Karen today that you can hear and recognise some similarities. And her journey is a really inspirational one as a parent and a carer of a child with an additional support need. So here she is. My name's Karen. I am a parent of an autistic teenage boy who's now 19 and has just this summer left school. It has been just the two of us pretty much all his life since he was just a few months old. Um, and that's... That's had its challenges because it would sometimes be nice to have someone else to share the burden with at home. But at the same time, it has its upsides in that I don't have to ask anyone else's permission for the things that the two of us choose to do. Um, having said that, he has had a very difficult time in his life. And, and as a result, so have I and, and, and wider family. He wasn't diagnosed with autism until he was nearly nine, by which point he was already in school on a very reduced timetable. Um, we're talking a couple of hours a week. In fact, in his entire education, primary two is the only year he did full-time education. Other than that, I think the maximum we ever managed to get him up to was about 12 hours a week. Um, and that took a lot of hard work to get him there. His biggest challenges are that he doesn't cope well in large, noisy environments unless he feels particularly safe and secure. Um, and that makes a struggle in, in explaining that sometimes to people that he goes to things like Belladrum Town Heart Festival, we go to Eden Court regularly, and he copes perfectly well. Um, we went to the Commonwealth Games when they were in Glasgow, and he went on the Clockwork Orange to get out to them, and he stood in huge queues, he was in the middle of big crowds, and it didn't put him up or down. But the reason it didn't put him up or down was he was with me and he feels safe and secure with me and he knows that no matter what, I'll always, I'll always make sure he's okay. 
and I think people assume that if he can cope with that, he should cope with school. But school's a very different environment. Um, at one point when he was in primary school, there were 30 other children in the class, all vying for attention at the same time. And with the best in the world, he was never going to thrive there. And any teacher who was who was trying to help him was going to struggle. Um, eventually he was, we were, we were very fortunate, he was given a place at Drummond Special School. And although he was never full-time there, his experience was vastly improved because of the situation with there being smaller class sizes, um, his, his final class, you know, six pupils instead of 30 pupils makes a difference. The additional support of PSAs, so there's always someone there that can help you. All those things helped him to feel more relaxed and, uh, and comfortable. And because he was then more relaxed and more comfortable, it made my life a lot easier. Um, by this point, I had already had to give up work um, because I was basically paying for someone else to to look after my child. And all all my money that I was earning was going to to someone else, and it it just it got to the stage it was untenable because, like I say, all the money was going to someone else who was amazing and did a fabulous job with him. But I was sitting at work the whole time worried about him because I knew how unhappy he was. Um, so giving up work while it was a difficult decision has proven to be the best decision I ever made because he has blossomed. There's just there's no other way to put it. The, the security he had that no matter how stressful school was, and even at Drummond when he, he was much happier, it was stressful and it was difficult and he found it hard. He knew if he could get through the two, three hours that he would be there, he was coming home to be in his own home, around his own things, in an environment he felt safe with, with me there, not putting any extra pressure on him that he had to do anything specific, that he had to perform in some way and, and be something he's not. He could just be himself. And if that meant that when he came home from school, he just went and lay in his bedroom for an hour with the cat and had a chat with her, he could do that. And that took such a, a burden off him from constantly being on edge to, to knowing I just have to get through this little bit and then then it's going to be okay. And it also made it, in, in the sort of emotional side of things, so much easier for me because I, I still, up till his very last day at school, I was still a wee bit on edge whenever he was out at school because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what might cause a problem, what might make things difficult for him, what he might not cope with. But I knew that the school he was in would support me in doing whatever he needed to make his life happier, more comfortable, more relaxed, make him feel safer. And I also knew that at the end of it, he was coming to me and I was taking him home and we would get through whatever had happened. The downside of having to give up work was there was then nobody that I saw apart from him some days. Even when I was at work, I could go for the whole week that the only people I saw apart from him were the people I worked with. Because you do become very isolated. I mean, he he said a long, long time ago that his, his ideal world would be he lives at home with me, he never leaves the house and he never has to interact with anyone else ever again. 
I've always fought against that for him because I can't live like that. And, and if we're going to be a team, which we are as a family, I have to have some some say in what we do. It cannot always be about him. But on the reverse of that, a lot of the things that we did out of the house were often just the two of us because there was there, there was no point in, in in attempting to get him involved in teams, sports and, and things because he was miserable and he hated it. Um, you would fight and battle and get him to go and do something. We went to a, a few organised events and things and he would be miserable at the thought of going. He would be miserable most of the time he was there. He would cry all the way home because he'd hated it. And so you stop doing things like that and you start doing things that actually he'll enjoy because I got no pleasure out of doing things like that with him. So it, it became a case of what's the point? Why are we why are we doing things that society says we should do? But making us both miserable at the same time, making us both more stressed, making us both more unhappy. But the problem with that is we had become very much a group of two. And, and I was very fortunate. I had my parents who would, who would take him for weekends and things, so you would get a break. But it's very difficult to have a social life when you get a break every few months, maybe, because all the people that you've said, no, no, I can't do that, I can't do that, I've got Cammy, I can't do that. Then suddenly when you go, well, actually, I am free tomorrow, they're already busy. So so your social life kind of becomes online and, and on the phone. And that is, it is quite isolating. And, and people who, who don't have a child with an additional need that takes so much of your time and energy and focus don't appreciate why you're saying you can't do something. I know before I had my son... I would have thought, oh, good grief, why is she doing everything for him? She has to have a life of her own. And I still do think that. I just now have an appreciation of how hard it is to do that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very, very isolating. And it took a, a concentrated effort for me to, to try and... And, and find Karen within my role, you know, that's, I don't know, that sounds a bit weird probably, but I was always his mum, and, and I was kind of determined that while I will always be his mum, I wanted to be me as well. Um, and that was why as he started to get a little bit better at coping, and we got him out and about, we got him doing things, so he didn't need me with him 24-7, I started trying to 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 separate the two of us a little bit and and that's really difficult to do and probably more difficult for me to do than for him to do because he was growing up and he was getting more able and more aware of the things he wanted to do whereas I still have that I've spent 19 years being there for him doing things for him and it's really hard to cut the apron strings and let him go when when we have tried to do that in the past. He has failed spectacularly um, and just completely fallen apart. And we've spent months trying to build him back up again. I'm more aware of, of the damage that a failure can do to him than he probably is. Um, and that's not even just an autistic thing. That's, you know, I mean, 
I remember being 19 and I thought I could do anything and nothing bad could ever possibly happen to me in the world. Um, I maybe don't agree with that now that I'm 49, but I, I, I know as a teenager I did. But I started doing little things like he would be in the house and he would be playing on his computer and I would say, well, I'm going to go and sit in the next neighbour's garden and have a chat with them for a wee while, you know, glass of wine on a nice summer evening or, or whatever. But he could see me from the window. And that, that first little bit of separation, and it built up and it built up to, right, I'm going to nip round to the shop now because we need milk this morning. Uh, you don't want to come, that's fine, you stay there. He would maybe get half an hour on his own, and it built up and it built up and it built up. And that very slowly but surely, he he began to realise that actually the fact that I wasn't there was fairly irrelevant. He, he could manage things. And we were really lucky. We went to um, a board game club in town that he loves. And he was introduced to it by um, a friend. And they went along and he got more and more used to it. And, and again, over the course of probably about six to nine months, we built up to him, me going with him, me dropping him off and coming back, me popping in and out. You know, just a little bit me slowly moving away from it. And... Him being comfortable with if there was if something happened and he, and he didn't understand something, the guys he was with would help him, and they're brilliant and they do help him. And now he can go to it on his own. Yeah, obviously COVID's kind of caused a bit of chaos with that. But pre-COVID, he was at the stage where, on a Saturday morning, he would get himself up, would get dressed, get organised, get his games, go down to games club, spend the whole day with them, and come home in the evening. So usually be there sort of 11 in the morning, coming home at 6, 7 at night. And then he built up to staying late and he was coming home at like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. And I, he didn't think anything of it. I was a bit sitting at home waiting for him to do it because it's such a huge thing that he was that he was doing. But it's, it's not something you can say to him, but that's a huge thing you did because he doesn't see it as being a huge thing because what 19-year-old boy doesn't go out on a Saturday night and come home on his own. And he doesn't want to be seen as different to other people in the street. And I can understand why. But he is. And, and that's that's the difficulty we have now, is is explaining that, yeah, I, I know you just want to be like everyone else. And we've, we've spoken about his autism since the day he got his diagnosis. I've always been completely upfront with it. In fact, we will regularly say, but the reason you're not understanding that is your autism, not that you're stupid. Because sometimes he just doesn't get a joke or he just doesn't get an explanation of something. And it's because his brain doesn't work on the same operating system as mine. And and sometimes I'm seeing black and he's hearing white. And we have to just put it down to autism. Um, sometimes we do just put it down to the fact that he's a pain in the bottom um, as most teenage boys are but a lot of the time it'll be that and while we've spoken about his autism and I've you know we've spoken about people who who look for a cure for autism and I've asked him if there was a magic pill he could take and it would take his autism away and make the world less frightening for him would he take it and he's always said no because the problems with the world are the world's problems not his problem He's not doing anything wrong. He's just being him, and the world just has to to learn to accept him and uh, and to learn to 
be a little bit more tolerant of people that aren't exactly the same as you. And I think he's right in that, but at the same time, his autism does have an effect on the things he can do. Um, he's applying for college at the moment, and it took weeks and weeks of, but I really want to do the course, but if I fail, it's going to be the end of the world, but I really want to do the course, but I think I'm going to fail. I, I, and no one can, can make that decision for him. He has to decide. All you can do is support him in it. And that's a very difficult bit, and it's it's something I think professionals don't appreciate, that the amount of work as a parent we put in to, to just getting our young people to a stage where they can feel confident enough to tell you how they feel um, takes a huge amount of work. It's I would have said it's only in the last two or three years with my son that I genuinely know how he's feeling a lot of the time. Um, and why he's feeling that way. And again, that makes you feel quite isolated because you, you, you'll talk to a professional about something and you're listening to their answers thinking, you don't get this. You, you're you not getting what I'm telling you. you. You don't understand. And I think that's why I love groups like Thriving Families because they've given me the opportunity to go to pine sessions where they've been on and things. And speak to another parent and know that someone is listening who gets it. Someone someone out there uh, A has been through it. And I, I remember speaking to a parent of a, a child a good few years older than my son and I, I, I knew her son. I'd, I'd seen him around school so I, I was aware of him and she was talking about what he'd been like as a younger child and, and she was describing my son but the image I had of her older now teenage boy he was the loveliest young man I'd ever met. He was polite, he was friendly, he was helpful. He seemed really calm, he seemed really in control, he seemed really focused on what he wanted to be doing with his future. And the hope that gave me that another young boy had been where my boy was and with the, the support of people who loved him had had come through all the difficulties. And and I'm sure he still has difficulties, as my son does, but has now managed to find a way to put a strategy in place and has found the courage to, to speak up when something has gone wrong. And that, that's lifted such a, a burden off my shoulders that I feel more hopeful for his future. I think listening to Karen so far, I can really hear the hope um, she felt there when she recognises that there were other parents like her and how although the future may seem uncertain for her in that point um, that she recognised that there could be a future. Karen really is one of the reasons I'm doing this job. Um, she's been really passionate about peer support. You can hear that for parents of carers of young people with additional support needs in wanting to find ways for parents to connect to help reduce that feeling of isolation. Um, I really believe that, you know, through Karen's story, what we're hearing is really how she has faced the challenges of parenting her son. You know, she's given up her job. She's described always being on edge, feeling isolated. And, you know, I can personally connect to all of those. Um, I find it really inspiring that Karen, in such a calm and eloquent and beautiful way, is explaining um, her and her son's journey. 
You know, it's about her doing things that worked for them as individuals and not for everybody else or society, as Karen says. Um, Recognising the importance of accepting their situation and prioritising the need for the feelings of safety and security at home and what that provided for them and their family unit. I love the Games Club story and I believe it really symbolises how progress can be slow you know, little steps, but really, really worth it. And Karen has a lot more to tell us and a lot more to share, and this is going to be a double episode. I just want to be able to highlight the things that I'm really taking from listening to Karen, because I hope these are the things that can support other um, people out there. Acceptance versus rejection feels key. You know, it's a life-changing impact that can come from parenting a child with additional support needs. You know, sometimes a parent carer is quite an invisible person. It can be private, but it can be isolating. Um, You know, are you caring? Are you parenting? Those lines tend to become quite blurred. Um, You know, these, as a parent carer, people are becoming big specialists in skills and knowledge and in caring for their child and their particular needs you know this knowledge can be from um medical to technological and it's fundamental that people are doing the best they can for their families i believe we just need to talk more about recognizing and having more understanding for all family circumstances You know, schedules need to be sometimes very rigid for people for security and safety. Transitions and travel can be really challenging and difficult for people. There's big behavioural issues, anxiety issues um, and, you know, frustrations at times with the systems that people are trying to work within and, and there can be a lack of support or a lack of knowledge, you know, from individuals and professionals because sometimes people are coming across things for the first time and acknowledging that there is a huge amount of psychological stress for parents and carers that, you know, mental and well-being of a whole family um, can be really impacted. People are radically changing their lives, altering work patterns like Karen did, giving up her job and people change jobs. They, you know, and all these things have massive financial implications. And is that being seen and understood? You know, you know, parenting is a roller coaster for anybody, and these added stresses and worries when you're dealing with looking after a child with an additional support needs. You know, we need to celebrate these families and these individuals. They're working so hard every day to help their families be the best they can be. And Karen is one of those individuals, the family team that her and her son, with the support that have been around them, have been able to grow and you know, become really together and as one as a unit and as a team. And like she said, there's always challenges. Um, And so I'm going to leave you there and say that the next segment of Karen's story is going to be with you soon. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you can find us at www.thrivingfamilies.org.uk. And you can also follow us and find out any updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.